Howdy, roofers, and welcome to Roofer Growth Hacks, the podcast that's dedicated to highlighting those in the roofing industry, learning how they overcame growth challenges with creative growth hacks, and connecting them with others in the roofing industry. I'm your host, Chris Hunter, founder and chief marketing officer of RoofingSites.com. I'm also the author of The Ultimate Guide to Digital Marketing for Roofers. Well, roofers, I've got a very special episode for you today. I am completely geeking out about this one. Mike McCallowitz, author of Profit First, Pumpkin Plan, Clockwork, and about a dozen other business books, as well as his newest, All In, comes on today to discuss how to get employees and team members that are all in on your company and are willing to go the extra lengths to make your company successful. Be sure to listen up as Mike shares some awesome growth hacks. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We are beyond stoked to have you with us today to, to kick off season eight of Aggie Growth Hacks and Roofer Growth Hacks. Let's just dive into it. You have written an am another amazing book. So tell us all about All In. Why'd you write it? What did you learn from it? And what can we learn from you? So uh, I, I got to share one thing. This first is I, I had my first. I went to a Texas A&M game this year uh, as you all what? beat up on Ole Miss. And I think you fired your coach right after, which okay, was, Mississippi yeah. State. Oh, Mississippi, that's right. Mississippi State was yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's right. Win again, fire coach. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, crushed them, crushed Mississippi State. And as I was driving out, they're like, "Oh, coach got fired." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Well, did, did you happen to notice the 126 million dollar check that was donated to the university at halftime, and then he was fired? Um, I'm yeah. sure there there was no coincidence. No, no coincidence. No coincidence. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I never seen so many cheers in my life. Hand, like everyone knew every cheer and the gestures and all this stuff going on. It was the cool thing. And, and maybe that speaks a little bit to All In. So the new book is called All In. In part, it's about those cultures, those environments where everyone's on board. Everyone gets the environment. Everyone performs the highest level. One thing that was interesting is uh, it started about five years ago. I started researching out All In. And I started to, when I do a speaking engagement, asking audiences who in the room was an A player. And it's one of my favorite questions to ask because you won't be surprised. I mean, everyone considers himself an A player. So, you know, all the hands go up, you know, and, and we define A player by loyal and committed, driven, perform the, the best level that you can and so forth. And uh, then I'd say to the same audience and sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands in the room, I'd say, what percentage of the population are A players? And then the responses are like, you know, 5%, 10% max, 2%. I'm like, this is interesting. Everyone in this room is an A player, 100% We're all here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we all came here. <laughs> and um, so I said, either it's a statistical anomaly, like this is some kind of weird thing going on, or there's something askew. And the reality is, I believe I've concluded everyone is an A player in the right environment. I call it A potential. You can pick any human being on this planet. If you put them in the right environment for what they have the talent at, they will excel there. Maybe you have some dude that is really a big time sleeper, the laziest person on the planet, maybe great at testing beds and finding those comfortable beds. Like we just have to match up the person. I'm not saying that your organization, Greg or Chris or, or my organization has a role for everybody, but everyone is an A player in the right environment. We just have to discern who that person is. And if they're a match for us, then allow them to develop within our organization. So, so how do you how do you assess yeah. if everyone was the A player? How how do you find that right role for that right person? Yep, I got a Texas A and M story. They know how to do it, and actually, 
admittedly, most college football programs and most pro, pro programs do this extraordinarily well. I was looking at how do you find extraordinary talent and found there's this near trillion dollar industry sports that do this. And what you do is they run camps. Now, let's compare it to what most businesses do. Most businesses do interviews. I need a X person. I run the ad, three or four people come in and I interview. And after usually after frustration, say, oh my God, this is the, the best of the worst. I'll hire them. Could you imagine Texas A&M doing that? Say, hey, you know, we need a new quarterback. Let's interview three or four guys. No. <laughs> what they do is camps. And what a camp is, is when you're in eighth grade or you're starting high school, you get invited to camp. Now they have, you know, four or 500 athletes there. Every athlete is then given skills, techniques, and all of them are being trained. So everyone's actually elevating. But during that process, the coaches are also observing who's showing the most desire and thirst, the most potential. Those kids are tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, we got another field we'd like to take you to to try more skills and so forth. It's a vetting process at the same time. What's beautiful about these camps is everyone gets better, but the cherry-picked ones are the ones that are the best fit for your organization because they demonstrated it. I've experienced this myself. I played sports in high school. I played lacrosse. I went to a camp in the Northeast of, of the States, and uh, I didn't get tapped on the shoulder, but some of the kids did, and they played for Hobart was the university. I got good enough, though, to play in college. and I was a college athlete because of that camp. So the beautiful thing is everyone elevates and you get to cherry pick who you want for your organization. As an employer, we can do the exact same thing. Run workshops. I need to hire a bookkeeper, run a bookkeeping workshop. You don't know how to teach bookkeeping? That's fine. Hire an expert to teach bookkeeping. But the people who show up, A, are interested in bookkeeping. Secondly, you can then find the people who have the desire and thirst and cherry pick them. The last thing I want to share about this, this isn't just like theory. Uh, businesses do this. Home Depot, next time you see Home Depot runs an ad like, you know, come down and build a work a birdhouse with your kid. Watch all the parents and 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 guardians that show up there with their kids. They'll be assembling the, the birdhouse. There's an employee at Home Depot observing the participation of those parents to see who's the most participative, who's the most, has the most desire to learn and share, who's helping others. They tap those people on the shoulder and say, Hey, we'd love to have someone like you at Home Depot. You ever consider working here full or part-time? It's a recruiting platform. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what all in really means. What it, you went through a lot in, in your book and in what's the formula and in, in, in everything? I mean, what, how do you get that all together into a, a formula to hire and recruit the right people? Yeah. Ultimately, I, I do a formula. I call it FASO. There's the, the fit the the ability, the safety, and the ownership elements that need to be addressed. So I'll touch on some, but I'll, get, I'll deep dive in a couple. So fit is uh, most organizations simply say, we have this role um, or this title of receptionist that needs to be filled. Let's interview for receptionist. What great organizations and great leaders do is they break down a title into individual tasks. And I'll say, basically, I need to find a person or people to fill these individual tasks. Titles are very siloing. Uh, tasks are, can be matched up with people's greatest talents. So that's the lesson here is match talent to task, not to titles. Titles are very traditional, old organizational structure, results in a pyramid structure. When you match talent to task, it's more like a web-like structure and you allow people to do what they're best at. So uh, I'm not gonna deep dive in that, but that's just the general part. Ability, uh, we kind of touched on already, is where people have three types of abilities. Experiential, which is their history. What I've done in the past is indicative of the future. Their innate ability, 
is like, you know, what's my internal makeup and my driver or so forth. There's things like Enneagram and Myers-Briggs that help us identify that. Mm -hmm. And then there's potential ability. Great companies, great leaders look for potential. And the best way to do it is through demonstration, which is workshops, camps, those camps run, run these workshops where people can demonstrate their ability. Uh, then there's safety. Um, and safety is where people feel physically safe, emotionally safe, relationship safe. They feel that they're being cared for. And I think this is where I want to deep dive a little bit. Most organizations, Chris, will say, hey, we have a corporate vision. We're going to achieve X million dollars in revenue, or we're going to achieve X, Y, Z. That vision is not the vision of the organization. It's a vision of an individual, the owner of the organization or the leadership team. But every single employee didn't sit there and say, we want to do $10 million. You may have one employee says, I want to actually spend time with my family this year, or I want to buy my first house, or I want to learn to play guitar. Everyone has their own individual visions. Great leaders identify what everyone's personal vision is and makes it a priority to help them navigate toward that vision. So what I do is I meet with my team and say every year, and we actually have a, can't see it on the screen here, but there's a board I have set up here that has my, my individual dreams and visions and all my colleagues have it outside my office here. And we say, what do you want to achieve? Then my job is to help them achieve their personal visions on the path to our corporate vision, which is mine. Mm -hmm. And when people feel supported in achieving their visions, reciprocity kicks in. They want to support mine. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite stories, it's in the book, is a janitorial company called Jancoa. I interviewed Mary Miller. She's the co-founder of the company. They have 600 janitors. And the first thing Mary said when I talked to her on the phone, she goes, Mike, no one's ever dreamed of being a janitor. Like That's not a dream. But she goes, but everyone has dreams. So that they do is every week, they sit down in small cells. There's maybe five to 10 of them, a pocket of people. You know, They get together and they say, what are your dreams? What's your visions? How are you doing on that? Are you learning to play guitar? One gentleman who I interviewed didn't know how to read or write. And he said, I, he had a granddaughter. He's like, I want to be able to read nighttime bedtime stories to my granddaughter. So they helped him get uh, on the educational path. The, the, the interesting thing too is Jankoa doesn't pay for your dreams. People don't like to be gifted dreams as much as achieve dreams, but they yes. kept him on the path. They gave that guy flexibility to go to the education. And sure enough, six months later, he was able to read his first time, first bedtime story to his granddaughter and it was transformative for his family. It was transformative for him and his loyalty to the company further escalated. He's like, this company cares about who I am. It's no surprise they're one of the best janitorial companies. They're in the Cincinnati area, but hands down in their territory because they have such high performance. The retention rate is extraordinary because they care for the people first. So that's one of the key formulas is we have to identify our team's dreams and align it with the corporate vision. So, so then how does that tie into ownership? Because as my dream as an employee may not be the corporate dream. Right. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all employers. We, yeah. we hire people to do stuff for what we design our company, our company yeah. for. You know, I mean, that's why we exist. Yeah. So, so how, how does helping someone, how do you connect those, those two things that seem to be not connectable at all? Yeah. One of the lines I hear most frequently is like, gosh, I wish my employees would act like owners, right? I wish they'd have ownership in the company. Give them ownership then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, one technique is give ownership. But here's what's so funny is what I found is ownership without what's called psychological ownership. So legal ownership, where they have a piece of the company without psychological ownership actually works against us in most cases. It forms entitlement. 
I own a piece of the business now. Where's my profitability? You owe me. So uh, many ESOPs are deployed inappropriately because they focus on the legal ownership. They don't focus on psychological ownership. But here's the other flip side. You don't have to give legal ownership. If you simply deploy psychological ownership, people will have their identity in link with the company and perform at their highest levels. Identity is the ultimate thermometer. We achieve who we believe we are. And so if we believe that the company is mine in part, even if it's not legally, I'll act that way. So first question is, how do you achieve ownership psychologically? There's three components. One is when someone has intimate knowledge of their responsibilities. So the more we know about something, uh, the more we feel we own it. The second thing is when we have the ability to personalize it, when it, it, it can be made mine, I can put little elements of it. And third uh, is that we have control over it. We can give it direction. One of my favorite examples is with cars because it's so apparent. There's two scenarios. You can rent a car, you can own a car. A rental car, we're given explicit instructions of how we have to behave. Return with a full tank of gas or you'll get penalized. You know, uh, No scratches or dents, of course, and then a clean interior. And uh, they take all this information from you to ensure that you're going to comply. And I was saying, when we're forced to comply, we will seek to defy. It's human nature. The more constraint pushed on us, the more we're going to push back out. So I don't know how you guys are, but when I leave that, I, I consider it like a DMZ, when you give your license for the 15th time and the lights flash and the gate goes up and the spikes go down, the second I leave that DMZ, I floor it. I skid into lights. I punch it the second it turns green in my little Ford Fiesta, whatever I'm driving. I'll abuse the crap out of that car. The reason is because it ain't mine. And uh, they've given me such explicit control that I'm going to get back at the man. Well, that's what most employers do. Here's your job. You fail to do this. You'll be punished. You have to perform here. You're going to be measured on this. We're going to be tracking. You better do it. Force to comply. We'll seek to defy. Now, the other side is psychological ownership. Uh, you guys may own a car. I own a car, uh, but I actually don't even really own it. The bank owns it. I got recently, I'm making my bank payments. So legally, I don't own the car, but psychologically, I do. So my behavior is radically different. I don't abuse the car. After I do a long drive, I'll actually pat it on the dashboard. I noticed <laughs> Yeah, nice, nice job. Um, good job. Yeah, good job. Yeah. It, it was, sounds crazy, but there's three elements playing. First, I have control. I decide where I take it, when I take it, where I park it. I have control if it goes out today or not. It's mine. The the rental car, there's constraints. Can't take it out of the country. You got to return on such and such day. You know, my car can do whatever I want when I want. I can personalize it. I can slap bumper stickers on it. I can put dice in the mirror. Don't do that with your rental car. You can't do that. I have intimate knowledge. I know how every button is. I can program the radio buttons to be my stations. You don't have that in a rental car. Uh, you don't know what half the buttons do. So the car that we own, we have those three elements going on. Therefore, it becomes significant to us. With our employees, give your employees within their realm of responsibility, the ability to have ownership, meaning that they can control the direction of something. You agree to the outcomes, but they can control the path. Give them the ability to personalize it. How can they make it more of their own? Allow yeah. them to gain intimate knowledge. You do that, psychological ownership sets in. When you start hearing them say, oh, this is my job. Um, this is our company. Those are all words of psychological ownership. If you hear them saying, this is your company, or this is the job, they don't have that psychological ownership yet. So how do you make that switch then? You know, If, if you've got an employee that, that is like that, how, how do you... Because I know that it all comes from us as leaders to yeah. to start that process, right? And I know yeah. in, in one of your chapters you talked about 
good boss versus bad boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we become that good boss? How do, how do we get those employees to get that ownership you know, yeah. in their mind? Yeah. Uh, I guess the little rhyme is start slow and let it grow. One of the stories I share in All In is a barbecue house in Texas. It's a barbecue smokehouse owned by a guy named Stephen King. Not that Stephen King. It just happens <laughs> to be the same name. It was kind of funny interviewing Stephen King. And he hired his employee named Joel who was a C player and, and C could be cancerous, like just a bad employee mm. from the get-go. The only reason he even hired this guy was because a friend said that Joel couldn't find a job. Would he do, would Steven do him a favor and just hire this guy, which is, you know, not someone you should hire. Well, what he did was when Steven showed up, he was filthy, covered with grease, all this stuff. He needed someone to uh, be a waiter. And uh, Steve, uh, Joel also showed up about three hours late, first day of employment. So Steve's like, go back, clean up. You're going to get one more shot. Come, come on time. The guy comes back. He's not much better. Um, by the end of the week, he wants to fire him. He keeps him for one more week, but deploys psychological ownership. And what he did was he started slow. He went to Steve on week two and said, listen, I mean, to Joel, he goes, hey, listen, there's a, a bar we have in our smokehouse here, and there's this box of straws. And what frustrates me as the owners, when someone pulls the straws out, they kind of explode everywhere and people leave the straws. I want you to own the straw box. The outcome I like us to see is just a neat organized box, but you determine how you want to manage it, how you want to do it, you've control. So what he's allowing Stephen to do was put a, his own control around it to personalize it, maybe make it his own way. He gave him that sense of authority. And you won't be surprised with that specificity, that small amount, Joel was able to do it. And actually did a pretty good job. It was always organized because it was something that was unique to him now. Well, after a few more days, Joel uh, was approached by Stephen and said, hey, you want to handle the bar mats too? They're always filthy with beer suds and so forth. And Joel's like, yeah. Well, this continued on. Joel's performance improved, not just in those areas, but all areas because he started having authority over something. Fast forward two years later, Joel's the number one performing employee of the company. He's an A player by far. He manages the entire front end of the restaurant. I called Joel and I said, dude, admittedly, you, know, you were not performing well. And now look at you, you're a rock star. What happened? And the guy starts tearing up and I, I start tearing up to think about it. He goes, Mike, you don't know my background. He's like, I, I was abused as a kid. My parents told me I'd never amount to anything. I'd never own anything. Mm. This is the first place I've ever given authority over something <clears throat> and be able to own something. He's like, I love this smokehouse. I goes, I will do anything for it. And then we, we continued chatting. And I said, but Steve, you were showing up so filthy and stuff. I heard like you're, you're always coming in clean and stuff now. What was that all about? He goes, oh, that grease and stuff. He goes, I love working on cars. He goes, my dream is to be a professional race car driver one day. So I'm always working on my trucks and stuff like that. And I said, Joel, the way your performance has improved and how you're, you're doing, you are going to be a professional race car driver. I said, it's going to be such a big loss for the smokehouse. And then Joel chuckled and he goes, I'm never leaving the smokehouse. He's like, I'm going to be a professional race car driver and work at the smokehouse. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing, man. This is so amazing. What happened was reciprocity. He, he was giving ownership over something very small, but over time was able to develop that. And then he took ownership, emotional ownership within the company. And now is an A player by far. Well, Mike, this is an area that we have talked to in the last hundred or so episodes about entrepreneurs and how difficult it is to build the team to to attract the right people. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, and this is kind of going back to, to clockwork and some of your, the other things, the primary job, the primary job of an <laughs> owner needs to be pouring into 
and growing and providing the fit, ability, safety, and ownership of the team. Because if you don't do that, you're right. What is there? Yeah, you got poor into people. My own companies that I own, obviously, when I'm writing my books, I'm, I'm also testing it out in my own business. I deploy this stuff. I ran a survey of this office right here. This is our, our author office. There's eight of us, an itty bitty company. And I uh, went to our team anonymously and said, How safe do you feel in this environment? And assuming, you know, it's not even a concern, but I should just ask anyway. Couldn't believe how many people came back and said, The alley, there's an alleyway that goes by the side entrance of our building, feels unsafe. It's pitch black. The sun sets here around 5 30 in the wintertime. And when I'm leaving the office at, at five or six o'clock at night, I'm a little afraid. Like, who's in that alley? So what we did is we installed string lights and now it's super bright. But what the consequence was before I knew this, my colleagues around two or three o'clock in the afternoon, like, gosh, I have to leave the office in a couple of hours. It's going to be black, dark. They, they start getting concerned and their work performance, I assume, had to be dropping because mm-hmm. they were concerned for their safety. So to your point, Greg, is, is great leaders pour into their colleagues. They love upon them. They, 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 they block and tackle for them. And it's just natural reciprocity, our colleagues will reciprocate and care for the company the way we care for them. I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast here. I mean, it's just, you, you don't understand how much this means to both Greg and I. Thanks, guys. You know, it's just so cool. I'm, I'm geeking out because you're here, you know, <laughs> uh, just be even just on the same place with you. I want to take screenshots and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but, you rock, brother. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate that. Chris, this has been a joy being with you, Greg, being with you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Well, how about that, Roofers? Was that pretty freaking amazing or what? I know I am completely geeking out that I had the chance to be face-to-face, one-on-one with Mike Michalowicz. I mean, come on. He's been one of my favorite authors for the past 10, 15 years. He has written some amazing books and all in so far from what I've read of it so far is amazing as well. Okay. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that you pick that up. But I tell you what, I wrote down a whole page of notes here of things that I took away from him. I would say the biggest one is the start slow, let it grow, right? Meaning that he gave that example of how that one employee, right? That wasn't very good employee at all. As a C employee, wasn't even a B employee, right? Wasn't a rock star, but that the restaurant owner gave him one little thing at a time, right? And gave him ownership of that one little thing at a time. So for instance, he started with the straws and then moved into other things and and eventually grew into his absolute best employee that had so much ownership in that company that he said, I'm going to be, you know, race car driver, professional race car driver, and I'm going to be employee here, right? So I think that's pretty freaking awesome that that we can help people achieve their dreams and at the same time they can help us as entrepreneurs as company owners you know achieve our own dreams right we all have individual dreams the other thing that uh, i took away from that is that he said every player is an a player in the right environment i thought that was pretty awesome i mean and it's so true you wouldn't want to put somebody who's great you know at, I don't know, accounting up on a roof, right? And you wouldn't want to put someone who's really good at, at roofing down into accounting, right? That's where things start messing up. So, you know, I, I think that 
put people into the right environment and they will excel. And that's just one of the few steps that he gave us, right? He gave us that FASO, F-A-S-O, fit, ability, safety, and ownership, right? So those are that's a really good formula. That's his all-in formula. So if you can, if you can do that in your organization, okay, then you might have the ability to grow your employees, grow your teammates, right? Your team members into someone that takes extreme ownership in your organization. So super, super important task, you know, super, super important uh, uh, thing to keep in mind for sure. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Roofer Growth Packs. I hope you enjoyed this episode and then you connect with Mike online. On He's he's everywhere, man. On LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter. Well, really X now. On Facebook. You, you name it. He is out there. Go and connect with him. I also hope that you connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or YouTube or wherever, wherever I am too. I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, RoofingSites.com. Since 2018, RoofingSites.com has helped roofers double their sales by getting their marketing right using the 4R Roofing Marketing System. If you're a roofing company owner wanting to grow your business, be sure to go to RoofingSites.com and sign up for a roofing marketing strategy session with, well, with me. This past year, I published my book, The Ultimate Guide to Digital Marketing for Roofers. If you're a roofing company owner and you don't have this book in your hand, I will send it to you for free. Just go to go.roofingsites.com and I'll send you a free copy of my book. Well, roofers, join me next time when we connect with another great roofing entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Till then, I'm Chris Hunter. Thanks and gig em.